Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. Thank you for being here today. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. So glad to have all of you here with me. The topic we're going to cover today is something that, you know, we've been getting so many questions on. It's something that's on everybody's mind. So I'm very, very excited to deep dive into it. This is going to be very, very data driven, which is why I said uh, state of the market data over drama, right? Because obviously there's so much going on. There are so many articles where people are talking about the state of the market and a lot of it is clickbait, right? It's just, um, supposed to get you emotional. It's just um, supposed to make you click on it. So you read it. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Param. I am a radiologist in Southern California. I have been a real estate investor for nine years now. I think it's 20. Yes, nine years now. Um, and um, I uh, have my real estate portfolio uh, is across six states and in two countries. And it's what helped me become financially independent and helped me quit my full time position in radiology at the age of 41. So I could spend more time with my kids. I do spend a day a week in medicine. It's what makes sense for me at this point. Um, and I want to help other physicians live life and practice medicine on their terms, um, which is the point of this community. Through Generational Wealth MD, I've, uh, we have a coaching program where we help physicians acquire their own portfolios. And um, lately, we've also been investing in syndication deals, which gives you the opportunity to invest passively in real estate if that's what you choose to do. And our community, we've acquired over $550, doors, and this number just keeps increasing, um, and over $150 million worth of real estate. Um, and that includes long-term, short-term rentals, uh, multifamily. We have members who are acquiring mid-sized multifamily. And as a group, we are going into syndications and we're investing in syndications also. Uh, and I'm doing all of this um, and a lot of the education, uh, the value is geared towards helping physicians realize that there is a path to financial freedom that is much faster than the traditional retirement model. Um, and today we're going to talk about state of the market. Um, uh, just to give you a brief overview of everything that we're going to be covering, we're going to talk about what's good, what's bad, what's ugly. Um, more importantly, we're going to talk about where do you put your money in the current economic environment, how we are pivoting in real estate investing, we as a community, um, what I'm doing, um, and uh, what my co, uh, co-sponsors, were, how we're pivoting in real estate in our direct ownership portfolios, and also while as we invest in multifamily what you should be avoiding. And then at the end, I'm going to talk about a current multifamily opportunity we have in the Atlanta MSA and also about uh, a meetup in Atlanta this weekend that I'm very excited about. All right, let's get to it. So the first thing I, um, I like starting off with the bad stuff and then going on to the good stuff. Uh, it's just, uh, I think it's a better progression. So if you look at the economy today, uh, we are bracing, the US economy is bracing for a recession, right? Um, Q1, Q2 of 2022, we had two uh, quarters of negative GDP growth, Q3 was positive. But um, anytime you have two quarters negative uh, GDP growth, you're technically in a recession. And we are bracing ourselves for a recession. And a big part of that, like all of you know, is because uh, of what actually happened in the uh, in uh, what happened in the economy during COVID, right? A lot of money was pumped into the economy. 
we because of which inflation um, hit record highs. Now, just to explain this graph over here, the red line over here, this is the uh, Fed funds rate, which uh, is representative of what interest rates look like. And this is historic, right? This is uh, all, all the way from the uh, 1960s going into the current, uh, into the tw- into 2022. And then the blue line you're seeing over here is consumer price index, which is our, our best measure of gauging inflation. And if you look at it, the reason... The U. It, what we're going into is a forced recession, and it's because of this over here, right? So inflation um, is at an all-time high. I think this doesn't cover most recent data, but if you look at September and October of 2022, inflation was at 8%, right? Um, and that's super high. Um, typically, the U.S. economy wants to have inflation anywhere from 2 to 3%. That's healthy, right? So we're in a very high inflationary environment. Uh, inflation is at 8%, and the best way for the Fed to control inflation is to increase interest rates, and and which is what they've done in the past. Uh, if you look at 1980s, that's what they did, and that's what they're doing again. You're not seeing this reflected right here, but I have another slide showing it. But all of us know that interest rates have been going up, and that is the best way uh, for the government to control inflation and bring it to a healthy number, right? Now, this is scary because it's uncertain, but I also want to, as we're going over the slides, present what is good about this, right? Because yes, inflation is out of control. But if you are a real estate investor, and if you're looking at investing in real estate, a high inflationary environment is not necessarily bad. Because um, real estate is an inflation controlled asset, which means that if inflation is high, rents go up, and housing prices go up. And both of those favor real estate investors, right? Um, and then over here in this slide, I just wanted to uh, again show what's happening with inflation in the United States. The red, the red line over here is the United States economy. The blue is Europe. But if you look at it, we with interest rates rising, we have been curbing inflation, right? Inflation is um, it's actually dropped to eight percent compared to what it was earlier in the year. So, so it's working. Uh, the plan is working. And again, if you go back to interest rates, this is where we are right now. Now, this is the Fed fund rate, which is um, which is different from mortgage rates where mortgage rates are, but it's representative of uh, what mortgage rates are going to be going to look like. Right. And so if you if you look at it over here, interest rates are rising. And compared to what we were used to um, last year and early this year, it can seem like it's an alarming rise and it's it's a crazy number to be at. But the important thing to realize, and this is why we're looking at historic data. Right. So this is data all the way from the 1950s going into 2022. And if you look at this, um, where we are right now is really not that high from a historic perspective. Right. And that's the important thing to remember. Um, I think the highest point we've seen was in the 1980s when inflation was close to 20%. It was 18%. And it was done as a way to, again, control um, inflation. And so we're not really super high, historically speaking. Um, And then what the data, I mean, and this is what the experts think, right? Um, 2023 is going to be an election year. Um, U.S. national debt is so high that we really won't be able to sustain, to service our national debt if interest rates are super high. So we may not see, so we likely won't see the, the peaks that we saw in the 1980s. And um, like we saw in the previous slide, inflation is already um, get, coming under control, which means that we're not going to see uh, drastic uh, interest rate hikes. But just to talk about data, the question always then is, okay, so interest rates have started hiking, when will they stabilize? So if you look at historic data, how long does it take for interest rates to stabilize? And if we're looking at, um, you know, data from um, the 1980s all the way, so that's 
That's almost 30, 40 years of data. If you look at how long it takes for rates to stabilize, the average time from first hike to first cut is around 24 months. And considering that we started interest rate hikes in the beginning of this year, that means that around March 2024, we can expect interest rates to start falling back down because inflation is likely going to be under control at that point. Um, and, and so the question is, how are we using historic data to predict what is likely going to happen in the next few years, right? Um, and why is this important? And it's important for multiple reasons. So we're actually being data-driven as opposed to using our emotions. Emotions, when it comes to investing, um, you don't want to be an emotional investor, right? Um, and, but then when we when we have the data, we're also able to be strategic um, especially as real estate investors, because a big part of being a savvy real estate investor is having the ability to hold through recessions. And I'm going to talk about deep dive uh, about this later on, but you really want to be strategic about planning your acquisitions and your hold times. And that's where this is helpful. So if you look at, um, you know, uh, data from uh, 1970s going uh, all the way up to the pandemic, right? If you look at average recession length, it's similar to what we were seeing before, right? Interest rate uh, hikes start stabilizing and start reversing around 24 months. Um, average recession lengths are typically 12 to 18 months, right? That's what we're seeing. And so we like to use that data to kind of predict where we're going to be a couple of years from now and thereby alter our strategy. If you're interested in learning how to invest in long-term and short-term rentals the right way, so you can accelerate to financial independence with the support of mentorship, community, and vetted investor agents and in strong markets across the country, then get on the waitlist for the next cohort of Creating Generational Freedom at www.generationalwealthmd.com. You don't have to learn from decades of costly mistakes by yourself. The program is only open for enrollment in the spring and fall each year. In the last six months alone, our members have acquired over $60 million of real estate, and more importantly, they are living life and practicing medicine on their terms. You don't have to do it alone. Okay. Um, now, next thing, housing affordable, affordability, right? Interest rates are crazy. Um, a home that was $400,000 a year ago would have uh, cost you $1,300 in mortgage payments per month. Now it's $2,200. And, um, and for most people, salaries haven't kept up with that. Um, and so housing affordability is definitely down. And that's what this, this curve shows. But the important thing to remember is that um, this is also not a, an entirely negative thing for people who are investing in real estate, especially multifamily, because it does increase demand for rentals. And so guess what we're trying to do here is look at the data and say, yes, this is there, but how does it really pertain to us as real estate investors? And um, is it really a doomsday scenario, right? And so those were all the things that are considered negative in this environment. We saw a lot of them had positive um, meanings for real estate investors. But now I wanna move on to um, data that is actually positive for the current economic environment, which supports that this is likely not going to be anywhere close to 2008, right? So let's talk about that. Um, a big part of that is going to be housing shortage. And I have some slides, data to show where we are what, uh, right now. Um, the other thing is that we're in a completely different lending environment compared to 2008. Um, and this is reflected in household equity and um, US bank reserves. We have a 
you know, interestingly, we have a very strong job market already shifting into what's more like a buyer's market with price resetting, right? So let's look into that in in detail, right? Um, And so we actually in the United States right now um, are in a state of uh, housing shortage and because and there's a demand supply mismatch. Now, a lot of this was because new construction after 2008 um, didn't keep pace with population growth. And a lot of it was because a lot of builders actually went out of business during the last crash. Um, More recently, we've had supply chain disruptions um, and inflation really doesn't help because the cost of 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 home new home construction starts going up. And with all of that, and if you look at this, this graph over here, what you're realizing is that, again, the uh, housing supply is really not keeping pace with with demand, right? And that's something which means that if we do have price resetting, which we're already seeing, it's still not going to be, it cannot be as drastic as it was in 2008. Um, Again, another positive thing about the current economy is that the job market is still strong. So look at this graph, guys, um, starting from um, 2000 all the way to 2022. If you look at the uh, number of job openings right now, um, it is actually significantly higher than pre-pandemic times. Um, and there's actually data to show that this is because a lot of people retired during the pandemic. Um, uh, way, the way people are working has shifted. Um, there was actually an article by Vanguard, which stated that we're likely not going to see, uh, you know, um, a significant impact to the U.S. job market because of all of those factors, which are unique to the post-pandemic environment that we're in. Um, and that, and I consider that a strong positive. Now, um, like I said, we're not in the same lending environment. U.S. bank reserves and homeowner equity is is really strong right now, as opposed to uh, what it looked like in 07 and 08, right? Um, so um, we actually have some data over here. Um, if most of you remember that when the pandemic started, there was the a lot of people were antis- anticipating a high number of, of foreclosure events once we uh, once we were done with the eviction moratorium, right? But if you look at the data, and I think this goes into Q3 of 2022, right? Uh, we're actually uh, U.S. foreclosure activity is beginning to tick up, but historically speaking, we're actually pretty good in terms of foreclosure numbers, and that again um, is, is a good sign for the economy. Um, uh, again, another thing is U.S. Uh, household net worth, and a lot of this has to do with um, uh, home equity, is again, in a, you're, we're in a very strong position as far as this is concerned. And this is also reflected um, in strong U.S. bank reserves. Again, it's because uh, the lending environment is very different from what we had in 2008. Um, all of those are really strong um, factors to think about when we look at the economy today. So we saw what the account- economy looks like. The I think the, the million-dollar question is, what are we going to do with our money, right? Um, and so I wanted to talk about different asset classes and predictions for different asset classes over the next few years because I think that is going to be really important. I think I think that's where that's where we need to use the data to make those decisions, right? And so uh, the biggest impulse is to hold on to a lot of cash and. And the reason that doesn't really make sense in this environment particularly is because we are in a high inflationary environment, which means that if inflation is at 8% and you're holding on to cash, and even if it's in a savings account, what is it at 1.5% at this time, your cash is losing value. And that's the important thing to remember. Now, um, what about fixed income assets like bonds? Bonds typically depreciate during periods of high inflation, right? And so this is not the the right time to be investing in bonds. And we actually have projections for what uh, returns from bonds are going to look like over the next 10 years. And that was from Vanguard. Um, and it's the same thing for stock projections, right? Um, stock projections, they're, they project to the stock market is projected to have 
four to six percent annualized returns over the next 10 years. And when you factor in inflation and the, the, at the rate that it is at right now, that isn't significant. It's actually not even close to what um, national what what uh, historic um, stock market returns are annualized. Right. So this is from Vanguard Perspectives. Um, this was released in September 2022. And they talk about projections over the different asset classes for the next 10 years. Um, and for those of us investing in the stock market, we know that dividend yields right now are um, close to one point, uh, well, under 2% for S&P 500. But uh, what I want you to note over here is uh, US equities, um, and it, uh, returns are projected at 4.1 to 6.1%, right? So 4 to 6%. And um, it's something similar for what for, for the bond market, right? So it's, uh, you know, um, again, anywhere from 2 to 7%, depending on um, what you're investing in. And so, so that's what, that's what the other asset classes look like. Now, where do you think, where should you be putting your money? Um, I think this is the time with the, the, the environment that we're in. Investing in hard assets that are indexed to inflation makes the most sense, right? And um, precious metals, yes, they're hard assets and they are indexed in inflation, but you're really not having any cash flow over there. And so it's considering that all of us are looking for passive income, multiple income streams. Um, you're left with real estate. And what I love about real estate, and this is what we talk about all the time, and this is not something I saw intuitively when I was initially investing in real estate, I was looking only at the cash flow. But um, it's not just ca cash flow, right? Um, you have cash flow. Uh, that's one component of the returns you're making in real estate. You're using leverage, which is amplifying your returns if you're using leverage appropriately. We're going to talk a little bit about how you can use leverage appropriately. When you're being tax efficient, um, and a lot of members in our community are doing this, you can, especially this year, it's just the last year for 100% bonus depreciation, you can tap into that, um, even if you're not using bonus depreciation, right? Your cash flow from real estate is inherently tax advantaged just because of even straight line depreciation that all of us get to benefit from. So even if you're a passive investor, active investor, real estate is tax efficient. Um, and then um, you also are able to force appreciation, which is where you're adding value to a property and increasing the property value. And that really doesn't have to do with market appreciation. So in the in this current environment, you probably don't want to be banking on market appreciation. But this is the time where you really want to tap into the, all those, take advantage of all those other ways that you can get returns from real estate. And um, even in September and October, inflation was at 8%. And for most of us, that is anywhere from 3 to 7%, depending on the loan product we're using. And so you're still at an advantage in this environment. Um, and as Warren Buffett says, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Um, fortunes are made in downturns. Um, there is a lot of opportunity in the current market. So as long as we are using data to drive our decisions, we're not stuck in inaction. We're you know, we're pivoting. We can't invest in real estate today the way we did, I won't say two years ago, because I think, again, the last two years, everyone has been very cautious about how they're investing in real estate. Although the market did really well, your strategy should have been very conservative. But but today, we're going to be investing differently compared to, say, five years ago, right? The most important thing is to not try to time the market. And this can be very, very hard emotionally, but that's the right advice, to not try to time the market, but to pivot your strategy so that your strategy makes sense in the current environment. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Okay. Um, so the big question is, how do we invest in the current real estate market? And how, how do we shift our strategy for it to make sense? Now, the most important, there are, the, I think there are th three key things that I like to break it up into three key things that you need to focus on. Okay. Um, 
more than ever, this is a time when you want to be very intentional about the markets that you're investing in for both long-term and short-term rentals, guys, because in our community, we're investing in long-term, short-term, multifamily and everything. But uh, market selection is going to be very, very important for long-term rentals. It's very important to be in strong markets. And we talk about strong markets. We talk about demographic data. We're talking about population and job growth, industry diversification uh, in landlord-friendly states, uh, where, again, those are also, they tend to be business-friendly states. Um, and um, it makes a difference um, in terms of your net revenue just because it affects uh, occupancy also. So um, investing in really strong markets, and this applies even to short-term rentals. I've always talked about this. When you're investing in short-term rentals, you could be investing in metro markets, in drive to destinations that most people typically get to those destinations, driving short distances or fly to destinations, which are going to be like Hawaii and Orlando, where a lot of people fly to those destinations. Drive to destinations tend to be more resilient uh, in term, uh, to macroeconomic trends. Um, and that's why even within our community right now, within Creating Generational Freedom, the coaching program, we have a lot of our members, especially because it's Q4, trying to lock in a short-term rental before the end of the year um, so that they can maturely participate and actually get active losses and shelter their clinical income. A lot of uh, our members are, most of them are focused on drive to destinations that could be uh, vacation markets in California, like Yosemite, you know, Big Bear. It could be um, drive to destinations um, like Blue Ridge and the Smokies or the, uh, the Florida Panhandle. But really, market selection is going to be very, very important. The second thing that you really want to focus on is that you do not want to have a strategy that is um, solely focused on market appreciation. What does that mean? You don't want to buy, this is not the time to be buying properties that are negatively cash flowing, where you're, you're waiting for the property to increase in value. And that's where you're going to get your return. You really want to get into solid properties where the numbers make sense, where you're seeing positive cash flow. And that's going to be very, very important. Okay. Now, the second thing is that, um, it's, and then we're working, we work on this constantly within our community. You don't want to depend on market appreciation at this time. Um, you want to have positively cash flowing properties. But in this market, with interest rates being the way they are, it's very hard to go buy a turnkey long-term rental, rent it out and get positive cash flow. And so it's it's the time where you want to be a little creative about how you can boost returns so that you're still getting significant returns um, from cash flow, from tapping into equity, even in this market. Um, you know, um, and that could be by combining multiple strategies. A lot of our members like doing value add where you're going in and rehabbing a property um, and you're actually, and so this is different from flipping, right? Flipping is when your goal is to go in, rehab the property and sell it, sell it within six to 12 months. This is not the right time to be doing that because it's hard to uh, really identify and land at what your after repair value is going to be. This is, um, but it's still a good time to consider uh, doing moderate rehabs on your property, in improving the property, and thereby increasing your cash flow. Right. So value add can increase your cash flow significantly. Um, finding the right deals, sourcing deals adequately, even doing midterm rentals. In some markets, we actually had an amazing session. Yesterday, uh, one of our uh, members who uh, was in the coaching program last year is now doing the midterm rental strategy and where she's actually 10xing her net, her cash flow um, every year from a property, which if it were a long term rental would be giving her maybe a few hundred dollars and she's almost 10xing her, um, her actual cash flow from that property. So adding on strategies where you're boosting returns, um, using, again, tax efficient strategies, tapping into 100% bonus depreciation this year. And this could be, uh, for those of you who are doing passive investments in our syndication deals, you're 
you're still able to get that and use it to shelter offset your passive income that you may be getting. Um, and for those of you doing short-term rentals, you could even tap into that and shelter your active income from taxes. So actually boosting your returns in other ways is, is I think, key over here and not really relying on market appreciation. And then the most important thing in the current environment is going to ensure that you have the ability to hold. And what does that mean? We talked about how typically when we're in a recession, uh, it lasts anywhere from um, 18, so 12 to 24 months, right? And that's being on the conservative end. So you really want to have a strategy that's going to be able to weather the next 12 to 24 months. And um, for, uh, for a lot of us, when we're underwriting, that's going to mean very conservative underwriting. And I talk about this in the context of both stress testing your deals that uh, you're running for direct ownership, but also uh, getting into syndication, um, apartment complex, uh, you know, passive investing deals where the deal per se is very conservatively underwritten. Um, you don't want a deal where the numbers look very shiny and, and attractive, but the assumptions that were used really uh, aren't conservative enough for the current environment. So um, you want to be able to stress test your deals. You really want to uh, assume, um, you know, when you're stress testing it, you can you drop your occupancy, you drop your uh, revenue and you see if the numbers still make sense. Um, and you, it's really important to have adequate cash reserves in this time. Uh, but then, Another really, really important thing, and this is especially for those of you who are considering commercial loan products, right? Um, not necessarily long-term um, fixed debt that you're getting for, for a single family or a small, really small multifamily. When you're looking at commercial debt, you want to really make sure you're conservative in your leverage. You want to have significant equity in it um, because that is going to give you the ability to hold. And you also want to make sure you have flexible exits and fle a flexible hold period for your commercial loans. Um, that's going to be really important. Actually, I think the next slide is going into that in depth. And this is something we really look at when we're underwriting for our multifamily apartment syndications. But for all, any of you who are considering commercial loan products, this is something you really need to be aware of in the current environment. A real deep dive on that a, a little bit later. Now, I wanted to show you this because um, oftentimes there is a lot of fear about market prices and fluctuations in market price where people want to um, wait to purchase assets. Um, and I think what is lost in translation over there is that um, there, uh, when we're looking at revenue from real estate, right? It's it's twofold. It's it's yeah, yes, the equity that you have in the property, but it's also your monthly annual revenue that's coming out in terms of cash flow, right? And uh, your ability. And when we talked about ability to hold, really having properties that generate positive cash flow is going to be very important because if you have a property that you're pumping money into, which is what a lot of investors which is what a lot of people who held real estate during the last market crash did. They had properties that were negatively cash flowing. They were banking on market appreciation. That's where they got burned, right? So you want to be able to, you want to get into properties that are cash flow positive. And the important thing to remember there is that even during the last housing market crash, which was uh, one of the most significant crashes we've seen, right, in the last few decades, even then, um, if you look at, so the red line is um, national average home prices, right? And again, this is going to be very market dependent, which is where, again, market selection becomes so important. But if you look at the blue line over here, this is what rents did. So national um, historic rents um, 
from uh, all the way from 1988 to uh, 2020. Now, this doesn't include 21-22, which is why you're not seeing the huge bump over here in rents and uh, home prices. But even if you look at this historic data, you'll notice that between 07, uh, between 08 and 09, there was probably um, a 4 to 5% drop in rents uh, before rents started going up again. Um, and so it was, it's, that's typically what happens with rental revenue. That That's for long-term rentals. And I've always been asked, what does the data look like for short-term rentals? And there actually was, um, AirDNA had a podcast episode where they talked about historic data from the hospitality uh, sector, because we don't really have data from short-term rentals going back that far, just because AirDNA um, uh, and um, uh, Airbnb, uh, I think they, were just, they just became more prevalent in 2015. But if you look at data from the hospitality industry, um, going back uh, the last four or five recessions, the being very conservative on average, again, revenue dropped 10% for a year before bouncing back up during recessions. And that also reflects um, the actual average duration of recessions in the United States, right? And, and it's it's um, indicative of that, right? And so when we're looking at both of the data, the important thing to remember is that that revenue number, as long as you have the ability to hold longer term, then what really affects your bottom line immediately is the rev is revenue. And I just wanted to give you an example of what revenue looks like in periods of recession. And it's really not the same drop uh, or um, that we see with market prices. Now, this slide is just to show you again how important it is um, uh, to pick your markets appropriately. And this shows how different markets performed during the 07-08 crash. Now, you'll see markets like Dallas, they didn't have the same peak and they didn't, they didn't have any significant drop over there. But there were some markets that dropped significantly, but also picked up pretty quick. Again, the data stops at 2020, guys, so this does not include 21 and 22. Um, so, um, you know, you have to understand that the prices did go up significantly after that. But the important thing to remember is that there were markets that really didn't have a significant drop. There were markets that dropped and took a long time to recover. And then there are markets that dropped but recovered fairly quickly. And it just goes to say that really looking at market demographics becomes really important. I've talked about this previously. Obviously, um, city data is a good tool if you're trying to do market research. It actually gives you a lot of useful demographic information. Now, um, I wanted to touch upon, um, because a lot of you are, you know, building your own portfolios, but uh, we have a lot of uh, people who are investing in our syndication deals. And I wanted to touch upon how we are adjusting um, lending, right? Uh, the way we're looking at lending when we're looking at multifamily deals. And this applies to anyone looking at commercial loan products, right? Um, you know, this is the environment where you want to have low leverage. Um, and that's because that gives you the ability to hold, to be able to refinance if you need to at the end of your loan period, because commercial loans typically, even if they are amortized over 20 to 30 years, they have shorter loan terms. And that's where um, your exit and the ability to hold becomes significant. So, uh, and, and this is why Grant Cardone, um, not Grant Cardone, um, it was uh, Dave Ramsey talks about how he did in the 0708 crash. And that was because he had commercial loans and um, he, uh, you know, uh, he, he was over leveraged and he wasn't able to hold on to those properties. So reduce um, leverage. So typically when we go in, we're going in at under 70% leverage on all of our assets that, that we've acquired, multifamily assets that we've acquired. And, and that's great. If you can get agency debt, which is long-term 10 years, that that's great. But um, ideally we want to have either fixed rate debt 
are, we want to have really tight rate caps. Um, some of the deals we entered into earlier this year were fixed rate at 6%. Um, the deal that we're currently in right now in Atlanta, um, we have a very tight rate cap, keeping it sub 5.5%. It's a, it's a floating rate. But again, uh, we have that tight rate cap, which means that if rates drop, we're able to take advantage of it. But ideally, you want to have debt, which gives you multiple exit options. And that's going to be really important. Um, and that leverage, having the reduced leverage gives you the ability to refinance if you need to. And then um, something that's, uh, again, very important is assumable debts. If you're able to assume the seller's loan, that puts you in a really strong position because you may be getting um, interest an interest rate of around 3% for the next few years. The next deal that we're looking at in Atlanta, and we're still um, um, we're still making decisions on it, I'm going to go visit that asset again this weekend. So if, uh, any of you in Atlanta, uh, make sure you hit me up, um, generationalwealthmd at gmail.com. Let me know so we can um, we can RS give you the information once we have the the location finalized. But assumable uh, debt, uh, where you can, you can assume the seller's uh, loan, is going to again be a big part of underwriting and making the deals work in this environment. And if you can get that, then that's great. Just to recap, I think this is just a, a recap. How can you be recession proof, right? Because we want a strategy that's really going to be um, that's going to work in the current environment. And we talked about really being able to hold the, the ability to hold till we get to a point where the numbers start making sense, where you can exit. And this is for those of you thinking of um, you know shorter hold periods, like five to ten years. Um, you, you really want to be able to hold in that period. And cash flow is going to be important. There was a time we said cash is king. Now we say cash flow is king. Having cash reserves are going to be important and not really not uh, over leveraging yourself, especially with commercial debt is going to be important. Really picking the right market, strong markets. And then, as I said, boosting returns, because this is not the time to bank on market appreciation. You really want to be tapping into cash flow, value add and tax efficiencies. What to avoid? Um, so I've touched on this a little bit, but just to um, highlight this, the most important thing is to not try to time the market, but to have a timeless strategy. And so um, this is likely not the time to flip um, uh, deals. Um, retail and office uh, can do poorly in uh, periods of recession. Uh, everyone needs housing. Retail and office can get hit, um, you know, um, during a recession. So if I would be very cautious about entering that, that space, having really short hold periods, anything less than three years, um, you really want to be very, very careful about your strategy and you want to stress test it aggressively. Um, and so you don't want to have very short um, hold periods. Um, um, New construction, um, that's a space where, again, things are in flux. And so um, you're taking on a, a lot more risk over there. So I'd be very, very cautious about that. And then we talked about not banking on market appreciation. As far as debt is concerned, uh, you don't want to be over leveraged. Now, that applies typically for commercial loans. OK, so if you're getting fixed long term debt, your numbers are making sense for, um, you know, for a 30 year fixed loan product. Uh, you may be OK as long as you have adequate cash reserves and um, and you're stress testing your deal now. Um, again, a variable rate debt without a cap, I'd be very, very cautious about that. Um, and you'd want to talk to the lenders about other options and see if it makes sense to get a rate cap um, or get into a fixed debt with the ability to refinance when rates start going um, going down. Okay, um, quickly wanted to talk about, about the syndication opportunities. Um, when we talk about syndication opportunity, how you how to invest in syndications and we what you should look at. Again, this it's the same concept. You really want to... Um, 
you know, I look at really strong markets and the Sun Belt typically has seen a lot of migration. They tend to be landlord and business friendly states and tend to do really well uh, in even in times of recession. So really investing in the right markets, working with the right operators. You want the operators to have a great track record in that sub market with assets of the same size. Um, that's something that I want uh, all of you to focus on um, and really being able to look at the underwriting and the debt and make sure that the debt is conservative and that the underwriting has assumptions that aren't factoring in the high um, the, 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 the high year on year rent growth that we've seen so far, but really being conservative uh, because we're going to see a little bit of resetting with inflation coming back down in the next few years. And you want to be conservative in your underwriting. You don't want to underwrite for a refinance. You just want to, you know, you want to be very conservative in your underwriting and in your debt. Now, uh, what we have done is typically look for uh, off-market deals, getting into deals where there's already a discount factored in. Um, the Greenwood deal that we got into, that's the um, it appraised 40% above purchase price. Um, and so that just goes to show that you already have that built-in equity, which is excellent. We had fixed rate debt in that product. The Atlanta deal that we're in right now, now that deal, um, it's uh, it's fully nearly fully subscribed. So there's a wait list on there and, the, um, and you know, a priority list for any other investments in Atlanta, and I'll show you how to get on that. But that was acquired at a 20% discount, uh, 10-year agency debt. Now that gives us a lot, it's a lot of flexibility, a lot of exit uh, options. And that's the one where we had uh, the sub 5.5% rate cap, which is again, it just, um, you know, it, it's a really strong loan product to have in the current environment. So for me, um, and I think for you as investors, transparency and responsiveness is going to be super important. And so um, I usually work with people who are either my mentors in the space uh, or who I'm really connected to, where I know that we'll really be able to look under the hood and look at the at detailed underwriting, which is which is really important because really knowing those assumptions is more important than knowing that the IRR that they the, you know, that, that shows up on the cleaned up slide deck, that doesn't really mean much. So transparency, uh, being super responsive um, and valuing us as a community. But more importantly, um, they need to be aligned with, uh, with our level of conservativeness. And, you know, uh, we have core assets where you're going to get um, decent return, um, which is going to be, you know, similar to what you probably would get with the REIT. And then you have opportunistic um, deals where it's high risk, high reward. I think most of us as physicians, we like to be in that value add segment, which is in between where you're getting decent returns, uh, almost twice as much as you would get in the stock market, even with the syndication deal, because we're going in and rehabbing and adding value. But um, it also isn't super risky. And so that's where we like to stay. So um, Co-GPs, uh, so the, pe the people we like to work with are people who are in those strong markets that I talked about in the Sun Belt, who have extensive experience over there, um, who are looking at those value-add deals and who are very, very conservative in their underwriting. And again, who have significant experience and a great track record in that market with that uh, asset class, essentially. I hope this was helpful. I really enjoyed doing this. Uh, you know, it's, it's really in an environment where everyone is just... Um, running based on their emotion, we're really looking at the data and um, it gives me the confidence to keep going. And it gives me, you know, just clear criteria about how I want to strategize in this environment. And I hope this was helpful for all of you. If you're interested in learning how to invest in long-term and short-term rentals the right way, so you can accelerate to financial independence with the support of mentorship, community, and vetted investor agents in strong markets across the country, then get on the waitlist for the next cohort of Creating Generational Freedom at www.generationalwealthmd.com. You don't have to learn from decades of costly mistakes by yourself. 
The program is only open for enrollment in the spring and fall each year. In the last six months alone, our members have acquired over $60 million of real estate, and more importantly, they are living life and practicing medicine on their terms. You don't have to do it alone. I hope you've been inspired by this episode and are ready to take action. Your feedback means the world to me. If you found value in what you heard, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate the podcast, leave a review, and follow the podcast. And if you really like the episode, share it with a friend. Your ratings, reviews, follows, and shares not only motivate me, but they also help others discover the show and join the community. So please share your thoughts. Let me know what you liked and even what you'd like to hear more of in the future. I can't wait to hear from you. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. And until next time, take care.